Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode four of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I take a closer look at the intriguing topic of the core. We talk about the many definitions that exist for what the core is. We look at the function of the core and how the core moves. We also examine the question of whether it's worthwhile to pull the core out and to target it in an isolated, direct way in our yoga and our movement practice. We discuss the somewhat controversial question of whether core strength is important for handstand and inversions. And we end this episode with a thorough look at the connection between the low back pain, core stability, and whether or not the cue to pull your navel to your spine that we commonly find in yoga, Pilates, and fitness settings is helpful. If you happen to be a member on my website, JennyRollings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great, and you can just listen right here. But if you'd like to actually see Travis and I talk face-to-face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. If you enjoy this episode, we'd hugely appreciate your support in subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast wherever you're listening to it. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, we are here to talk about the core. And like our stability and functional movement podcasts before, The core is one of those vague and broad terms that gets tossed around a lot um, with varying definitions and uh, interpretations. So, and and that's true in the yoga world and also the fitness world. So we wanted to have a chat, break down what the core is, whether or not it's something that is important even to think about and focus on, on the mat or in the gym. And if it is important, then how do we go about focusing on it? And then just some other myths and misconceptions about what it is and how to train it. So Jenny, thank you for having this conversation with me today. I would like to start off by asking you what the core is. Well, I think that is an excellent question because as you mentioned, we know that the concept of the core is just so vague. And at least in my experience, I found that when people give or offer definitions for the core, that those definitions can really vary widely. Like you hear so many different definitions for what the core is. It almost makes me wonder sometimes if the term core, if using that term is almost meaningless because just like just like what we talked about in the functional movement episode too, but it's just if so many people define it differently, and we're not if we're not on the same page about what we mean, then how, how I don't know is is it potentially a little meaningless? But anyway, uh, I don't know if our listeners can relate to this, but some of the varying definitions I've heard for the core are that the core is first of all that the core is your abdominals or your abs, which that's like, uh, like four muscles, uh, at the front of your trunk between the rib cage and the pelvis. And that's often what people, at least, especially like the casual lately person, general public tends to think of when they think of the core, they hear that we're going to do core work today in our yoga or movement class. They tend to think of abdominals. So that's one definition that's which four Mm -hmm. muscles. Thanks for asking that. Uh, transverse abdominis, internal and external obliques, that's two, and rectus abdominis. So uh, transverse abdominis is your deepest of the abdominal muscles, and its fibers run horizontally. 
Some people describe it as like uh, the, a corset muscle, the corset muscle of the core. Although I've also read uh, papers that seem to maybe be questioning that that definition is the ultimate way that it works. And then the internal and external obliques, they run diagonally and they do like rotation of the trunk and side bending. They um, contribute to those. Rectus abdominis is the classic, quote, six pack muscle. But it's actually, even though it's referred to as a six pack muscle, it's actually technically an eight pack muscle anatomically, but it's just that like those six ridges are the ones that tend to be visible on most people when they have a quote six pack, um, six pack abs or whatever. So that in my impression is kind of like just the most lay person definition of the core and what people think of when they think of core work. But I've also heard other definitions for the core. Uh, like Travis, have you heard of the definition of like the deep core or like the inner core unit? Yeah. You know so what I'm they, they kind of, somebody at some point said there's a deep core, <laughs> yeah. uh, and an inner core and an outer core or a deep mm-hmm. and a uh, superficial. And so mm-hmm. they separated certain muscles and said, these ones work before these ones or you tell mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so the deep core, I tend to hear uh, labeled and talked about. And again, like you said, just like someone labeled it that way. But the deep core is sometimes believed to be like your true core or like, I don't know, the real core, the functional core. The the core of the core. The core of the core, exactly. And that would be made up of these deeper muscles than the abdominals. So that would be the diaphragm, which is your muscle, uh, main muscle of respiration, your pelvic floor muscles. Uh, actually it also includes the transverse abdominis. So when I said deeper than the abdominals, it actually does include the deepest of your abdominal muscles, the transverse abdominis, and then these tiny muscles that are interwoven through the spine, which are your multifidus. So those four muscles that are all really deep, uh, are sometimes pulled out as, uh, the deep core, what yeah, about the core of the core. The psoas or the iliopsoas. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that question. one of the deep or no? That I actually, I hear it sometimes lumped in as part of your deep core and sometimes not. I, so (laughs) I took an advanced anatomy class and it was profound. I remember like when we got to the iliopsoas, seeing how deep it really was. Like we Mm -hmm. think of it as, I I think of it as a, I, I think of the core, I think of the abs and I think of the psoas being kind of one of the ab muscles mm, on the mm-hmm. front part of the body. Like the front abdominal But wall. it's Rhea, it's so deep that like you can, it's equally viable to get to it from the back as from the front because it's just kind of right in the middle. Um, so and I, did, I just didn't realize that looking at textbooks and seeing it compared to like in the, yeah, in a cover lab. Maybe partly because the psoas is also a hip flexor. Maybe. Right. It's just we like, think oh, so. that must be on the front. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, and it is on the, the front, front the but it's, it's so. It's literally central. behind your abdominal organs. So like mm-hmm. the abdominals, the four abdominals, they're in front of your, your organs, but the psoas is behind and it's like knitted all along the front of the lumbar spine. So it's like right in front of the spine behind the organs. And then you have the abdominals in front. Yeah. I think some people don't realize that, especially people when they talk about quote, releasing the psoas, especially yes. through manual therapy techniques or rolling on balls. They think yeah. so that you can release the psoas directly in an isolated way by digging in through the front. But can you do that, Travis? Certainly not. There's too much in the way. So you can <laughs> poke around in there and get pressure through all of those superficial structures that are on top of it and, and maybe get some pressure on the psoas. Mm-hmm. But you're certainly not like, let me get in and around <laughs> all the stuff else. on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> to just release the psoas like, not that you can release anything anyway, but uh, that's maybe that's a, you know, a that's, conversation for another day. <laughs> I was just going to say that we should do an episode on the word release, but yeah. <laughs> but exactly. Like, how could you isolate it anyway? There's so much there. And what about all the abdominals that you have to go through to even get to this? Are you releasing those abdominals as well? Yeah, anyway, well, so maybe we don't want to release that. What if we don't want to release this? Right. But we just want to release this. Yeah. Out. Okay. <laughs> um, so we talked about the, the inner core. Well, the, and then the outer core would be the rectus abdominis and the that's internal right. external and obliques. obliques that's it yeah basically. that'd be more like yeah you're superficial and the muscles. there's the the thinking is that the inner core turns on activates mm-hmm. before the outer core uh and that's an important distinction is that right 
I guess so. And I've also heard the inner core described stabilizing. Like, yeah, I was just going to say it described as stabilizing. Okay, so that's that stabilizing, and then the outer core is doing your moving. your movement. Okay, that's the distinction I tend to hear most commonly. That the core yeah. of the core, the deep core unit, is kind of almost more important and pulled out as like. Yeah, more important, but especially because it's supposed to stabilize the spine, just just those muscles alone. And then like the other core muscles are meant to move the spine. And these are the ideas that are out there. So in addition to just those two common definitions for the core, we mentioned that there are there are a wide variety of them. So then I also tend to hear the core defined in in more broad ways, like sometimes the core is just just called all muscles that attach to the rib cage and the pelvis just all of them up and down. And by some definitions, that sometimes includes shoulder muscles. Sometimes I've seen that it doesn't. It can include hip muscles, but it also sometimes doesn't. Um, and then sometimes there, there I've heard like um, buzz terms around like the foot core, like of the feet, the core of the feet. And um, that would be like the intrinsic foot muscles. I think so. That's a great. Yeah, I think so. And so sometimes I've heard that re- thrown in as the core. Have and you then seen it's like, the- the picture with the six pack on the bottom of the foot. <laughs> I don't know where I've seen it, but I I've find seen it that. disturbing. I don't know why. Me too. It just seems like that yeah. shouldn't be there. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, the de- there's the definition where you we we started where it's like okay, it's this one small section, mm-hmm. and then it's like between the hip and the shoulder, and, and then it's like between everything between the knee and the shoulder, and suddenly That's like. Right. By that definition, your pecs, your pectoralis yes. major is a core muscle, which makes no sense to me. But then and, it's tricky because yeah. like the glute max, is that a core muscle? Because yeah. that attaches to the pelvis, right? Yeah. Yep. So uh, some people oftentimes definitely. we think of, oftentimes we think of that as more of a, like a prime mover, not a mm. stabilizer. Well, this gets into like, what is, <laughs> all right. So this, this is the gets into the next question. What's the role of the core or what does the core do? Cause then maybe that can help us decide what, what muscles is the core constitute what the, the core. core. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So my understanding of what the role of the core is, uh, is that it's, it helps. Well, because it, it forms this link between the upper and the lower body, the core, the region of the core, again, it depends on how you define it, but it helps to transmit force between the upper and lower bodies to transmit and absorb force. And it also generates its own force, obviously, because it's muscles that can generate force. Uh, so that's kind of, that's my understanding. What's your understanding of the function of the core, Travis? Yeah, I, I think that's a good definition. And that comes from a paper that we mentioned before. Uh, I think it's called... I forget what it's called. It's we'll put it in the in the Dr. Show notes. Ben Kibler. But we talked about it in the stability, the, right? Yeah, the the role of the core or core stability, something like that. Um, and I think that's a good definition. They have a nice cartoon where they show like a baseball pitcher, and mm-hmm. the forces are getting generated up from the ground through the legs, and then it's going through the core and out the arm and into the hand and into the ball mm-hmm. to pitch. And so it shows that if you you need a strong and well integrated core to properly sequence um, kind of complex movements like throwing baseball. So, mm-hmm. if you, and if you didn't have a, a strong core, you would have energy leaks where you were energy producing leaks. force through the lower body, but then it wasn't getting transmitted up through the core, through the torso, out into the arm and the hand and into the ball. So mm-hmm. I, I like that definition. Um, I think that when you talk about what the role of the core is, that gets uh, tricky or debated mm-hmm. because there are certain uh, subsets of people who say the role of the core is more just the the stabilizing or the um, the isometric Prevention kind of movement. sense of it. Right. So the prevention of movement, uh, and that, and that could be true in some athletic contexts, um, where mm-hmm. the core is really goes back to our stabilization podcast where the core is stabilizing the spine and preventing unwanted movement so that mm-hmm. you can create movement with your extremities. So it's that analogy of you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe. Um, mm-hmm. you need a strong, stable, 
midsection is another <laughs> word midsection, for core yes, and torso. Yes, yes. Um, I like that. To be able to maintain rigidity, stability as you are trying to produce force with your extremities. With your extremities, yeah. So, rem- so the go ahead. Sorry, I, sorry to interrupt you, but it reminds me of a a little video that I that I recorded for Strength for Yoga recently for social media, which was about a pull up and how something that was important for an official, uh, uh, an efficient pull-up and like kind of getting that first pull-up is that ability to stabilize through the core and kind of hold that hollow body shape. And that if we lack the ability to do that, then we're hanging from the bar. We're trying to pull ourselves up and we can easily, we can just be a little more, I think in the video, I said like loosey goosey for You're lack like of a better a, term, but what, yeah, a wet noodle. Oh, what were you going to say? What? Yeah. To, and that's just as harder for the arms and the shoulders to then pull yourself up. It's like, it's uh, it's just more that the arms then have to control. But if you can solidify everything in and hug it all in through center using your midsection, then that's just a lot. I want to say easier, just more efficient. It, it can be really helpful to actually get your pull up when you can stabilize through the core. So is that kind? Of, is that mm-hmm. also what you mean when you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great example. Um, doing a pull up, most calisthenics mm-hmm. or gymnastics movements do require mm-hmm. that tension that full body tension, mm-hmm. tension through right. through the core but also through the lower body too and if if the lower body is part of the core then you can <laughs> just say it's core tension but yeah uh so and and also do uh not only body weight movements but also uh weight uh like lifting mm-hmm. free weights you need the same sort of tension right, so like to, a back squat or a deadlift uh yeah big, strong movements like that, you need to be able to, 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 um, to prevent movement in your spine via your core muscles so that you can effectively and efficiently move the weight around. Yeah. So then the, if you take that to the extreme, you would say, well, then you only need to train the core isometrically. So Mm -hmm. you never need to train it dynamically. So isometric core exercises would be planks, dead bugs, hollow body holds, side planks, uh, paloff presses, anything where the course, uh, the tor- torso or trunk or core is staying neutrally aligned still. Mm-hmm. and still. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's so some people say that, uh, since, since the fun, the function of the core is to prevent motion of the spine, then when we train it in our movement practice or whatever, we want to train without letting the core move, but it, I mean, it does seem like the core is also responsible for movement. Like our spine does move as well, right? Like it has, we have 75 individual joints that make up our spine, which seems to suggest to me that the spine was built for movement. And so I just wonder if uh, also targeting the core in a way uh, that's dynamic, that actually is moving the spine and not necessarily just holding everything still and rigid, if that could also be beneficial. And maybe it depends on your target task, your goal task. Yeah, yeah. If if your sport, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but only required you to stay perfectly rigid, then I guess that's how you could what train sport it. But requires I don't, that? probably none, but I, human and I, like I don't that know cause. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if that were your sport, if you were a human flag, like as a <laughs> part of your occupation, um, right. right. Then yeah, you could just train it like that, but that wouldn't necessarily be helpful for your day-to-day activities that probably require you to be able to move around. Exactly, exactly. So, would you suggest that it is important? Like, it seems helpful and important to to train the core isometrically, but it also seems, at least for most people, it seems important and helpful to also train the core dynamically. Yeah, I, th- I think from a performance standpoint and also uh, spinal health standpoint it's good to move it so mm-hmm. i if i if i'm working with a beginner i kind of think of going from uh, along a progression of isometric to uh dynamic where the the torso's staying still but the arms and legs are moving to then mm-hmm. fully dynamic so like if you were thinking about the anterior core that would look like a plank just a front plank where you're just staying still to then maybe going into a dead bug where you're trying to maintain your low back pressed against the floor as you're uh, lowering opposite arm and leg. So you're adding movement of the limbs. There's there's movement of the limbs, uh, a perturbation back to the stability Mm -hmm. podcast, Um, Mm -hmm. but keeping the, trying to keep the spine still Still. to then whatever dynamic movement you want to do, 
uh, sit-ups, leg raises. Yeah, I was going to say hanging leg raises, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like Any that. Any sort you, of, yeah. Anything that moves the spine against resistance. So um, you could do plank pose uh, where you actually do like cat-cow in plank pose. So where you like around oh, the spine and then yeah. extend. So flex and extend the spine while in plank pose would be plank, but adding actual movement. Um Oh, what do we teach? What do we include in strength for yoga where we're in Navasana boat pose? And then, and then we twist at the Russian twist. Mm-hmm. So you're in Navasana boat pose, which is a yoga asana, but you're, you might hold a weight. You could also do it body weight, but then you rotate your chest side to side. So that's adding this rotational movement, targeting the core that with movement. The the funny thing about the people who say that you should never, you, like all your core training should be uh, isometric. isometric is that they'll still do medicine ball throws like against That's the wall. Right. Yeah. Um, like scoop throws or rotational throws. Um, and that it's not true, just isolated spinal mm-hmm. twisting or rotation because the hips will be involved. Um, but it's, it's funny because they, I feel like that's kind of like not acknowledged like, oh yeah, just train the core isometrically. That's the role of the core. But then we're also going to do these twists. Stop when you do throws. medicine balls. Right. Yeah. It's like an inconsistency because the medicine ball throw involves rotation of the spine, right? So mm-hmm. it seems, it seems inconsistent to be like, we're only going to train the core isometrically, but these are okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that totally just look, makes sense. Look, look the other way. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. So it's, it's always interesting to see when there are these inconsistencies in these big claims. Yeah. So, and then, so I sort of talked about what that my progression would be. And mm-hmm. that's just from a learning standpoint, I think when you're trying to develop a mind muscle connection to the muscles, mm-hmm. it makes sense to first do that isometrically. And there's nothing magical about that besides that it's a static contraction. Like you could do isometrics for any movement, but so developing right. that, okay, I'm feeling these muscles working and then adding more dynamic or movement to that exercise. And then the, in conjunction with that progression, I might also start with working the anterior core and then uh, the lateral core or the the side body and mm-hmm. then go into rotation as like the, the third part of the progression. Uh, just because mm-hmm. it's people, when, when people think core, they think abs first. And so that kind of matches what their expectation is, but um, it, it might be easier to tune into the abs um, mm-hmm. and, and some people front, might just, like yeah, you can see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're used to feeling them, I guess. And then, and that's not to say that we couldn't do like side planks at the same time, but, um, I would, I would sooner progress to set like the dynamic movement in the anterior core, maybe before progressing to dynamic movement in the lateral core. Um, and might like stick with dyna- uh, static movement in the lateral core for a little while, um, mm-hmm. before working up to that, just cause it's a little bit more difficult to sequence or coordinate, I think. Yeah. That makes a lot and, of sense. And then same with rotary core, like that, the, to integrate that, uh, like a medicine ball throw, that's kind of a more intermediate exercise. Right. But based on complexity and things like that, that, that makes sense. So just as a general rule for when you're thinking about progressing core training, I think something that we I, that I meant for us to point out that I'm not sure that we specifically pointed out yet is that also there's the posterior core. So there, the abdominals uh, are in the front and then there's the lateral core. And sometimes I think we, um, I mean, we've included it in just suggesting that you could think of the core as the entire trunk region or the torso. But just to point out that there's also the posterior core, which is like the back body muscles, uh, muscles that extend the spine that would actively pull you into a back bend. That's also uh, part of the core. And we could also think about targeting if we want to be 360 degrees in our core targeting, which would be the anterior, the lateral and the posterior. We just want to remember there's the back body. That's also equally part of the core. Yep. And I think that's, that kind of falls into, well, are you training the core or are you training the lower body? Because in strength training, Mm -hmm. a lot of the exercises that target the lower back, which is a part of the core are targeted through lower body exercises like squats and deadlifts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're, you're getting that through those movements. And then the question is, do you still need to 
do other sorts of um, isolated lower body or lower back exercises mm-hmm. and that we can talk about right. well, actually that, coming up because uh, that's yeah, that does lead, kind of the next lead me to a, mm-hmm, a question that I was going to ask of you, which is, I'm not sure that our listeners, just depending on how familiar they are with like fitness versus the yoga world go. But uh, in my impression, in the fitness world, there seems to be a little bit of like, there are some uh, opin- strong opinions about whether it's worthwhile to pull out the core as an isolated area and target it like direct core training. Like some people seem to think that's just not really important because you already get the core when you do these more global compound movements, like you were mentioning the squats and the deadlifts. So some people are like, you don't need to target the core at ice in an isolated manner. That's like a waste of time. But then some people seem to pull out isolated core targeting and think that it's really important. Like core strength is uh, like they elevate that as a very important quality that every body must possess. And therefore direct core training is important. So what do you think in yoga? Do you think Mm -hmm. in yoga that more people would fall into the, oh yeah, we really need to isolate the core. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. If you'd like to work with Travis and myself in a more direct way in your own yoga or movement practice, consider our Strength for Yoga remote group training program. Are you interested in bringing strength into your movement practice? Maybe you already strength train, but would appreciate a smart program to follow designed by people you trust so you don't have to think about what you're going to do each day. Consider joining Travis and myself and a motivated community of yogis who all value the benefits that strength training has for their yoga practice, for their body, and for their life. Strength for Yoga Remote Group Training is a monthly strength program that also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode on the core. Do you think in yoga, do you think Mm -hmm. in yoga that more people would fall into the, oh yeah, we really need to isolate the core or Mm. maybe the other where, oh yeah, we're getting the core through our more, you know, our standing postures. And- right. I I think that's tough because, because uh, I th- it, to me, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of the functional movement episode we talked about where, I mean, some, um, I, I think some people in the yoga world see direct core training, especially in the form of like sit-ups and, and um, these repetitive like spinal flexion movements. I think some people see those as non-functional, which as we talked about in that episode, that term is just really open to interpretation anyway, but they get a bad rap sometimes. And so I think that people sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater and they're like sit-ups and all sorts of just, just direct like the Navasana with the twists that I mentioned, which is a Russian twist. Like people would just, I, I think there's a tendency to not include those because there's a belief that they're just not really helpful. But I do think mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of broad. I'm not sure that there's a super strong trend one way or the other. I haven't seen it as much as I have in the fitness world. Gotcha. So yeah, to to answer the question, I think that it's kind of a reaction to beginners going into the gym and doing cardio and then doing abs. So (laughs) like like a hundred setups or something. Yeah. So so your your person who doesn't know much about strength training, that's kind of what they would default to. Uh, yeah, the free weights are scary, so they can understand how to use the elliptical, the stationary bike. They do their 30 minutes over there and then they go and do their abs and then see you later. So <laughs> the reaction to that, when you start working with somebody like that, like, th- well, we know that they're, they've been doing their abs 
ad nauseum Mm -hmm. um, and they'll probably do that on their own anyway because vanity (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) Uh, mm -hmm. because they that's what they know and that's what they like to do and they you know that's kind of an aesthetic goal too so they'll do that so we don't need to focus on that in our sessions you know if i'm thinking Mm -hmm. as a personal trainer Mm -hmm. um but and maybe there's a little bit to that and I, i kind of break it up into three categories of people. So you could have a really weak core. You could have a really strong core on the other end, or you could have a core that's in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and probably most people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the middle, I think that you probably don't have to do that much core, direct core training, because you can get a good stimulus from the other strength training exercises that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you do a push up, well, mm-hmm. that's a plank. <laughs> you're just moving with your arms. That's it. And, it's and actually a, a great core, core exercise. exercise. Yeah. yeah. If you do a um, one arm row, then your core oh, is yeah. working isometrically to prevent rotation. Because that's you trying do... to rotate you when you do a mm-hmm. one arm row and you're, you have to hold still. Yep. If you do a pull up or an mm-hmm. overhead press, your anterior core is working to brace and prevent lumbar hyperextension. Um, so it's it's working in an anti-extension role. Um, mm-hmm. And these are all isometric. Um, so you're not getting that dynamic, dynamic. movement. Um, but maybe, maybe you don't need that. Um, <laughs> and then if you're doing lower body exercises like squats and deadlifts, uh, your post- posterior core is certainly working. You mm-hmm. are, especially as you're going heavier, your diaphragm and whatever else is working to pressurize your midsection. Mm-hmm. So you certainly feel, and, and your abs are working too, um, just to create 360 degrees of stabilization. Stability. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, in that context and, and okay. So those are mo- mostly bilateral exercises with the exception of the one arm row. But if you do any sort of unilateral exercise, any, any unilateral exercise, um, or one arm at a time, um, then you have this asymmetrical load and now you you have to prevent rotation or flexion or lateral flexion. So you can get the lateral and rotary core that way. Mm-hmm. Like uh, doing lying on your back and doing a one arm bench press, um, or mm-hmm. standing and doing a one arm overhead press, and so on. So it's not wrong to say that you can get a lot of core work just through intelligent full body strength training, especially right. if you're incorporating unilateral movements. But if you have a really weak core, let's say, and you went to do your push up mm-hmm. or your pull up. Or, or attempt your pull-up, or any of the other, any of those exercises that I mentioned, your core could be the limiting factor in your ability it to perform those exercises well, or do, um, you know, you get into the higher reps and your core fatigues first. So if you have a weaker core, then, and you want, and you, you probably want to maximally stimulate those other muscles, your upper body, your lower body, but your core is holding you back, then you need to do some direct core work to mm-hmm. bring your core up like so up that you're speed. in that middle group. So your your core and everything else is even so that you're not, that's not fatiguing first. So that would be one person for whom I would want to do direct core work. The other person that I would want to do is the opposite extreme, where, and may, may or may not, but if the person has a really strong core, um, then the, all the exercises that we already mentioned, those bilateral or unilateral compound mm-hmm. multi-joint movements that get the core somewhat, they're not going to get, if you already have a strong core, they're not going to stimulate the core as much as some more advanced direct core exercises like hanging leg raises or ab wheel rollouts or... Um, planks with weight on your back um, mm-hmm. or or some sorts of like crazy circus trick type things, dragon flags. Um, right. So anyway, um, if you, if that person wanted to get their core even stronger, then they wouldn't, they would need to do direct core training. They would need whether to, or not right, they, they need, need to, to get their core even stronger. Maybe they don't, but if they, there are certain more advanced type calisthenics or body weight movements that they want to do, then doing direct core training would help them 
So mm-hmm. the long-winded answer is, mm-hmm. what was even the question? The question was, do you need direct core training? Yeah, um, like, is it important to pull it out and target yeah, on its own? Um, maybe. Right. But it, it depends, de- it depends right? yeah. yeah, it depends on basically what we just said, the person's current abilities, and then also what their goals are. That kind of gets wrapped into it. Do, what do they want to be able to do? What are they able to do now? So many and, people, yeah. many people who just have kind of a, a compound multi-joint movement type strength training practice, they may, they might not need to pull out the core and do, do targeted setups and things like that. But there are people for whom it could actually be really helpful Um, And something that you mentioned in this great article you wrote on this topic, which we will link to in the show notes, another reason you pointed out that some people might want to do direct core targeting is simply that they like it, (laughs) that it's just something that they like to do and it gets them moving, you know, it keeps them active. Some people appreciate that feel of that quote burn that they get through their core when they do these types of exercises. So it's not, it's not, I mean... They're not inherently harmful. I think sometimes we hear fear-mongering about core-type exercises as though they're injurious for the spine or something, but I think we know that that's not really the case. It's not a big deal if someone wants to to work on their core, but it's just perhaps if we're thinking bigger picture, like, is that is that serving their over, overarching goals? But if it's getting them moving... Yeah. So, so that that's where it, dep- it does depend. So if they like it, then they should do it. If they mm-hmm. are already lean, um, like have low body fat, and they're interested in getting more muscle hypertrophy through those mm-hmm. muscles, then they should do it. Yeah, because that would support their goals. But the one issue is if you you like it and you want to do it, but you're doing it at the expense of doing other things that might give you more bang for your buck. So that goes back to your goals. Exactly. Um, you know, if you're spending 30 minutes training your core and 10 minutes doing, <laughs> doing um, more. other stuff, then you, you're majoring in the minors or you, you have your priorities backwards. I love that phrase, majoring uh, so, in the minors. Yeah. So it's kind of like, as long as you're doing the meat and potatoes at a, in a sufficient volume and intensity, then mm-hmm. you can sprinkle in the core mm-hmm. exercises on top at the end. Or at the beginning, it just, it depends. And when we're thinking about strength for yoga, we actually coincidentally have our uh, our next phase, monthly phase that we've programmed because all of our monthly phases are themed around some sort of yoga asana or some type of strength movement. We decided to make our month of December, have our theme be the core, which is kind of interesting just in this whole context of talking about you know, direct core training and whether it's important. But uh, we we talked about it and decided that it would be really worthwhile for our members, our yogi members, who are interested in building strength for their practice and their body and their life in general, to have a month where we focus on the core. And um, what would you say, like, our reasoning was behind doing that? Well, we've, we've focused on more full body postures or asanas and exercises or movements up to this point for the first five months, however Mm -hmm. many months it's been. So this time it was like, let's, let's take a region of the body and the core is one that people liked, many people like to train. And we have had core exercises all throughout, but like they were sprinkled more towards the ends of the workouts as kind of like, um, icing on the cake. And now our core exercises are, we're starting the workouts with them. So we're going to be really focusing on getting a lot of good core work in the beginning of each of the sessions. Right. And it's also not like um, when we say that this theme is on the core, it's not that it's these workouts that are just full of sit-ups and things like that. No, it's just, there's a couple of core exercises and then it's the rest of the meat and potatoes. The full body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's still all full body workouts, but we're just like our extra theme and our extra emphasis is on. Little, yeah, little extra emphasis. So if you had no theme, then everything is kind of getting equal attention. And this month happens to get a little extra attention for the core. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of our focus. And that's partly because also, and there are many yoga asanas the ones that are on the stronger side that actually really benefit from a stronger core. So when we're talking about whether people really need to pull out that area or not, I think that when certain yoga asanas are our goal, that core strength can be super helpful. And one example 
is um, handstands and inversions, would you say? I know that this is a little a little bit of a conversation to be had or a little debatable. Sometimes I hear it as a little controversial. Like some people say, handstand, you don't, you don't need to worry about core strength at all because it's not a core strength movement. But then some people say core strength is the key and you have to do a ton of it. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I think it's somewhere in the middle, which is always mm-hmm. my answer, right? Yeah, but, right. Uh, right. I, I think if you are focusing solely on the core as your, you know, I need to get my core stronger before I do handstands, you really need to get your shoulders exactly. strong. Like that's probably uh, the priority, right? Upper body, shoulders. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's like numero uno. Yeah. Um, hammer that shoulder strength. Mm-hmm. And then you, once you have that, the core could be um, li- limiting you or, or preventing you from getting into the right position or holding longer. Um, so there's there's a strength component. There's a proprioception component. If right. you think about the glutes, some people say that you should engage your glutes in the handstand. So if you think of those as part of the core. If the then, glutes are the core. Yeah, then you could lump that in there. Um, but also, so shoulder number one, maybe wrist, um, mm-hmm. wrist flexibility, um, but also like- strength. Rich strength, yeah, and proprioception. That's kind of the mm-hmm. skill component of it. Um, but there, that may be as equally as important as the core. So it's it's like this shouldn't be the number one thing you're focusing on, but also it shouldn't be uh, abandoned. It's just let's right. put it into perspective. That's right. And would you say that in a handstand, uh, similar, I think about this also if you were hanging from a bar and maybe going to do a pull-up or just hang. But in both, those are both uh, positions where we're like being loaded vertically. And in both of those positions, it seems like there's a tendency for the spine to be pulled into extension. There's a right. tendency for us to like arch. Um, and not that that's necessarily bad, but that's the tendency. And, and ultimately it's, we kind of want to control you wanna, that. Yeah. You want to have a nice handstand line. Uh, a line. I mean, may, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I do. Yeah, I've been working on too. that. And um, so part of that is just shoulder mobility, but that's also right. part of that is, you have to have the strength and then you have to have the awareness of the position. So if you don't Mm -hmm. know that that's happening and it's being upside down, it's hard to feel that out. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, if you probably for a lot of people, it's just the awareness of like the um, avoiding hyperextension, like you have the strength for it, but maybe if you don't, then hollow holds and dead bugs and planks and all that Mm -hmm. good stuff, it can help you with the strength and the awareness. Right. And also for, uh, so there's one thing just, just working on handstand in the middle of the room, but there's also the transition at a handstand. And sometimes people have a goal of the handstand press. Oh, then you need a where, ton of so then, core strength. Yeah. For a handstand press, which is in case for listeners who might not know, that would just be, you come into a standing forward fold, like Uttanasana and yoga, place your hands on the ground. So your hands right by your feet, and then you float your legs back and up into the handstand. So there's no momentum. You don't kick up or spring up. You lift yourself up from that position. It's a really cool yeah. thing so that, to do. That's something that I've been working on a little bit. And you do I, so great. I'm I'm jealous of you uh, and impressed okay. by you. Well thank you. You're, but I yeah. I feel a really strong core engagement like mm-hmm. at the onset of that when the legs are just lifting up off the ground. And it, it's it, I feel it all over, but it, it does feel like abs, but it's also probably just that pressurization. Um, Oh, I can you know, see not, it's not, it's not like you're doing a crunch cause you're doing the opposite. <laughs> you're extending your hips, That's um, so true. but it just, it feels engaged all the way around. And so yeah, they're all manner of core Hip exercises in a shortened position really need to be, I would think they need to be strong uh, to, yeah, to yeah, lift yeah, you yeah, up yeah. from that. Cause you're folded in this fold. And then you have to lift up. And I mean, ultimately your hip extensors. So the backside of the hips are what yeah, are lifting but get, you up. But, but getting the feet off the ground at mm-hmm. first, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So it makes sense to me that for someone with a handstand press goal, that it's very likely that direct core targeting actually would be very beneficial yeah, so for that's, that. So that's, that's one application of where if your goal is to do a movement with ex- that requires exceptional core strength, mm-hmm. whether it's a yoga pose or uh, some sort of gymnastics or calisthenics movement, 
Mm-hmm. Or um, your sport, maybe. Like certain mixed martial arts require a lot of core strength. Of core strength, And so right. you can't just blanketly say, no, you don't need to train direct train your, train your core. You get that from all your other exercises. It's like, well, it depends. Right. It kind of depends, who, right. On the context of the person and what their activities are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so we are... We are getting close toward the end of our episode with not too much time left. And there's there's an important topic that I know we wanted to make sure to cover today. So maybe we can start, we can put a little attention toward that before we wrap up. And it's that it's actually kind of like a broad topic, but I would just lump it up, lump it uh, in with just what's the relationship between core strength and low back pain? Because we tend to hear a lot of claims around that. How is that tied into certain ways that the core is cued, like with that super classic navel to spine cue uh, or the bandhas in yoga, Udiana Bandha, which is also a drawing in of the navel. So this is kind of like a big weighty topic, but we wanted to make sure we included it in this episode because it's very topical. So. So you wrote a good article on the navel to spine. Thanks, Rebecca. Which we'll we'll link in the show notes. Yes, exactly. Um, I did, I can't remember if it was an article or was it a YouTube video or was it both? Oh. Sometimes there's so much content that I've, that I've made. I know I talk about it all in the core, um, in the continuing education workshop on my website on the core and the spine, but I feel like it might just be a YouTube video. Anyway, whatever it is, we will link it in the show notes, but, um, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with, with these cues that we tend to hear, they're very prevalent in the yoga, the Pilates worlds. Also, I find sometimes in just the fitness world in general, but just these cues around, uh, quote, core engagement or core activation. And the idea that it, it varies a little bit, but sometimes it's like right before you do your movement. And sometimes it's all throughout the movement. But this idea that you should consciously um you should consciously actively draw your navel in. So navel to spine is generally the most common cue, but it's, you know, there are other ways that it's worded. It could just be pull your belly in, or sometimes it's described as abdominal hollowing. So it's just kind of like hug everything in, hug everything in. Yeah. Or this drawing in or navel to spine. And the idea is that it's important that we do that because it, it uh, stabilizes our spine and protects our spine. And the idea is that drawing your navel into your spine is something that will activate transverse abdominis, which is that muscle that we've mentioned a couple of times. So the idea in my impression is that navel to spine is meant to activate transverse abdominis because it's really important that transverse abdominis is on in order to stabilize your spine. And if it's not, you can injure your spine in these movements. Is that how you feel that, how you find it to be used in the fitness world in general too? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same. Right, right. So the question is, so that cue, it's super common, but it's very widely questioned. And it it seems if you actually look at uh, the scientific evidence on spinal stabilization and core muscle function, it actually seems like that approach probably is not very supported by evidence and that maybe we'd be better off thinking about the core in, in uh, different terms or using a different approach. And there's a lot that could be said about this. So in the, um, in my continuing education course, and I think in the YouTube video as well, uh, I talk about how part of what spawned the whole navel to spine craze uh, was some research that was done quite a while ago now, like something like 25 years ago now by Paul Hodges like really well-known research that looked at people who had chronic low back pain. And then it looked at those people's core timing, like the timing of their core muscles and like when they would fire. And the research found that people with low back pain tended to have a, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you know this research better than I do, but tended to have a delay in muscle firing where the transverse abdominis fired uh, in a, um, like just slower or, or there was a delay for TVA firing compared to people who did not have low back pain. Yeah. Healthy and pain the delay was milliseconds. To- like really, really tiny. Right. So this research found that there was this correlation between people with back pain and a tiny matter of millisecond delay in the firing of transverse abdominis. And that was all that it found. It was just like a, a cross-sectional study that just was mm-hmm. looking at people in pain. And, uh, and, and as, as we know, uh, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. 
And so that research wasn't necessarily telling us that people with back pain had back pain because of the TVA delay in firing. It just was suggesting that people in back pain did have this delay in firing, but it didn't tell us that uh, the delay was uh, that the delay was causing the pain. It could it could equally be that people who have back pain just move a little differently, and that maybe the pain is is what caused the delay, or maybe there's no connection. I don't know, but but so there were there was a lot of extrapolation based on that original research, and then that just kind of spawned just a whole bunch of of assumptions and, and industries built around this idea that navel to spine is super important. And so core stability uh, became the craze. And I believe that a lot of the those beliefs are uh, underlie a lot of the approach of Pilates specifically, because I know Pilates is such a core focused movement practice. I think those beliefs are, are pretty embedded in, um, in what's taught in Pilates as far as justification for their using the navel to spine cue. So in such a prevalent manner. So anyway, did I, yeah. sum, did I but, summarize like where that came it, from? Yeah, that sounds exactly how how i know the story to be and the transverse abdominis had has become a bit of a magic muscle and the that's right sometimes yeah. gets roped in there Those too two together yeah mm-hmm. and uh i think like you said that research was however long ago over 20 years ago we're hopefully moving away from that at this point mm-hmm. or a lot of people are but not everybody uh, right. It's still, it's still totally out there for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think, and we talked about this in our episode on stability. We talked about how we talked about what the definition of stability is and that ultimately uh, most people don't actually have a, a, a literal unstable spine and that it's not really something that most people need to worry about to begin with. And that mm-hmm. um, low load body weight exercises probably aren't very likely to destabilize and injure the spine. And we don't need to be consciously thinking about overriding the way our nervous system naturally will fire our muscles. We don't need to kind of correct it or, or um, override it with these conscious cues and directions to like pull in and engage. Yeah. And the, your movement quality or whatever you want to call it uh, might be worse when you you actively try to do that. So letting the body do its thing um, just authentically, um, especially in a low load context, like body weight on your mat Mm -hmm. in yoga practice. And if then you're talking about, well, what about lifting heavy weights? Mm -hmm. Should we be pulling our belly buttons? Should we think about it? Yeah, Yeah. probably not. Because, it just doesn't do what we thought it did as far as creating that stability. And the the better approach is more of just a global bracing of the muscles, the 360 degrees, so there's know, a, the muscles as they go all the way around. There's a difference between navel to spine or the drawing in or the hollowing. That's one strategy for core engagement. And then there's this other thing called the brace, the abdominal brace. And can you describe how those two are different? Yeah, so the the hollow or the navel to spine is uh, pulling in, and the brace is just like uh, tighten or um, contract these muscles um, all the way around the core. And so a cue that you might think of would be like, imagine that uh, a puppy was about to, you're lying in bed and a puppy's about to jump up on your belly. Um, how how would you tense up? Yeah, or like somebody's about to tickle your stomach. what would you, what would your response be? Your response would be to create tension, um, through the core uh, and the, the breath gets involved with that too. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. that's the idea. So rather than trying to get smaller, just create engagement. Right. And I really like the idea of that cue, like picture a puppy's about to jump on your stomach because I, I think you call that an external cue, right? Like that's just like you're imagining something's about to jump on you and what would you do? And then you just naturally reflexively, you don't, I mean, you do, you are consciously, right. Like you are consciously engaging the core. So it's conscious in that sense. But as far as how you're engaging the core, it's reflexive because you're just thinking, imagine this is about to happen. What would you do? And that's different from, I'm going to pull my belly in. Like that's a very specific, I am deciding this is how I am doing it. But when you're just like, imagine this situation, um, how would you, I don't want to say protect because but just like, how would you respond in anticipation of a puppy about to land on you? And then what yeah. ends up happening there is it's that 360 degree. It's all the way around. It's not just this idea of drawing in only transverse abdominis. Yeah. 
And and that's especially true for healthy people with no back pain issues. When you get into Mm -hmm. people with back pain, then it gets a little trickier because there is research that shows that those sorts of uh, fine tuning cue, like treatments focused on motor control of those muscles tend to work, but also general exercise tends to work too. Mm -hmm. And so like there's not necessarily compelling or there isn't compelling evidence necessarily that shows you have to do those sorts of motor control exercises because you're fixing a timing issue. It's just like, and it's probably just exercise is good. So, and the fact that general exercise seems to work as well um, goes to show that maybe that navel to spine stuff isn't as important as we once thought. Yes. uh, That's, that's a really important point to bring up. Yeah. Because there are these claims that if someone has back pain, it's really important that they, that they, the the belief is that they haven't, they have uh, core stability issues. They have core instability. So to fix that instability, they need to do navel to spine type exercises, core stability exercises. But our research has really strongly suggested that while core stability exercises can work, general exercises can work as well. So how, how important is it that it's so specific? That totally makes sense. And then just to, just to be clear, uh, we're suggesting that in low load body weight type movements, it's probably not necessary to consciously activate or engage the core. Anyway, you, we can let the, the nervous system just naturally coordinate. We can let our core work reflexively. But when it comes to high load movements, like, like lifting heavy weights, like a heavy barbell on your back, you're doing a back squat. It may be beneficial to consciously activate your core, but the way that you would want to do it is probably not navel to spine. It's actually probably the brace. Right. Is that, would you say that's, that's 100%. correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also just the question of, um, I think transverse abdominis, like you said, it's a magical muscle. It's kind of in my experience, a buzz term. I hear it used that term used in like that muscle pulled out is important all the time in the yoga world, at least in my experience. But I think we also know from research that, that it's not really that possible to isolate transverse abdominis anyway, or to, or really to isolate any one single muscle, like muscles co-contract and, it's probably not that possible to do anyway. So I wonder how important or helpful it is to make a big deal out of transverse abdominis. Um, it seems from my understanding, it seems like just the idea of labeling muscles as having these specific stabilizing roles and others have these moving roles might be a little questioned anyway, because it seems like spinal stabilization, as we suggested with the brace suggestion, it's like a global phenomenon that's coordinated and controlled by probably all the muscles of the core, not just these two, transverse abdominis and multifidus. So maybe we don't need to think about isolating these magic muscles, but just let the body do its thing in a global way. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully, hopefully that was uh, clear and somewhat helpful. So I think we have successfully covered, I just wanted to cover today um, just kind of clarifying. I mean, really, it's a it's a vague, somewhat confusing term. But if we can kind of get on the same page about that function, the role of the core, how we can target it if we want to, why we might want to if we want to, and maybe some of these important myths about over controlling and over worrying about the core. Mm-hmm. And even even today. the the micromanaging stuff, like for the people with the back pain, it, uh, some people, sure. Some people, they feel better when they brace or when they hollow. And that's like a good temporary strategy, but some people are coming in worrying too much about that. And they need to be told like, don't even think about it or just, you know, try to relax it more. So it's a, it's very individual. That's a great point. Some people, if they have these beliefs that it's really important to hug in, um, maybe they do it too much and it's not necessarily helpful. Yeah. The spine was designed to move, right? So for some people, some cueing around just relaxing and letting it go could, could be really helpful. Yeah. And, and that goes back to Dave, um, oh, laser yeah. fit. Dave Lanier wrote a nice guest post for you about his experience mm-hmm. with that. So hundred we'll percent, we will make sure to link to that. Link That's that a up. very yeah. pertinent one. Thanks for remembering that Travis. That's- yeah. So some, some people he he tried for a long time to do a very rigid spine training and found mm-hmm. actually after many years of perpetuated pain uh that training in a more free flowing gymnastics mm-hmm. type of uh style where he was doing a lot of movement in a lot of different directions that he was able to reduce his pain. 
So that's right. Uh, it worked so, for him. You know, and like that's just one person, but uh, mm -hmm. it goes to show that there are many roads to Rome. That's right. There don't need to be these. Yeah, many paths, many roads lead to Rome. Lead to Rome, yeah. Many paths to the same goal, and it just we don't need to get so focused on these what the one correct way when it comes to the core. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, I hope our listeners find it helpful. And uh, thanks for being here, Travis. Thank you. And that wraps up our look at the core in this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science. And just for the record, I wanted to point out that when Travis mentioned that article that I had written on the navel to spine cue, and I couldn't quite remember if it had been an article or a YouTube video, well, it turns out that it was actually both. And they're both great resources, and we will link to them in the show notes. And I'm thankful to Travis for remembering the details of my content better than I do sometimes. And also remember that in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program, in the month of December, our monthly theme will be the core. And so we'll just be bringing the core, like adding an extra layer of some core focus in, a, in an intelligent way, kind of layered on top of the strength program that we designed for yogis. So consider joining us. And remember that you can use the code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. And the link to that is in the show notes. And we hope you enjoyed this discussion that we've had here about the core. And we'd so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you in our next episode. Do, 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 do.